Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Marco. Sean. Have you seen my uh, new marketing message? Uh, you wrote it or artificial intelligence did? Well, it's the fact that we're now using AI to uh, do some cool stuff. So AI wrote the message, the marketing piece? AI wrote it and uh, our product is using it. Oh, so you're good. You're going to go yeah, for we, what? We vacation? We just go on vacation full time now. The whole thing is, is doing its own thing. Love it. And uh, everybody who gets our product gets the value of AI and they too can go on vacation. They don't have to worry about anything either. Unhackable? It's a perfect world. Yeah, it's unhackable until they find an adversarial well, they AI and that's going to be a problem. <laughs> That's right. Then they'll be tracking us down and uh, we'll have to answer to uh, some people we probably don't want to answer to. Yeah. Well, Sean, this sounds fun, but it's not. When we got into the ethic of the way we use artificial intelligence, even in info security, it's, uh, it's an issue. And we already know there are a lot of problems for the society for that. And sometimes, let's be honest, we forget to talk about all the advantages that actually machine learning artificial intelligence is bringing to us from medical solution to, of course, uh, info security as well. But, you know, we can't just get everything in a box and say, hey, cool, I'm going to say, Sean, blinking light, let's use it. Let's not worry about it. What color is the blinking light? Uh, So... So many questions in my head already as we as we prepare to have this conversation. Today we're gonna we're gonna look first, and we'll see where this goes. It could be could be really fun. We're gonna look first at AI in cybersecurity and how does it work? What is it exactly? What are the ethical issues that uh, surround it? I'm pleased to have Stefan Zhu on, uh, who does a lot of work in this area in privacy and security and AI and beyond. Stefan, thanks for uh, joining the show today. It's my pleasure, and I will assure you I am not an AI. I am an actual human <laughs> being. I'm pleased to be here. 
That's if you did, question. you passed the Turing test already. For me. <laughs> Excellent. How can no. we tell? But uh, before we get in, well, perhaps as we get in the conversation, we'll be able to, to, to tell <laughs> who's human here and who's not. But uh, a few words, Stefan, if you will, uh, some things you're passionate about, things you're working on, a little bit about you so folks know who they're hearing from today. Certainly. Uh, so my current title is CTO of Security Analytics at CyberRes, which is a part of Microfocus. It's the part that focuses on cybersecurity solutions. I am responsible for a team that builds AI components for the rest of CyberRes. And so I've got a lot of experience with building and deploying AI solutions for customers, for people like you and me, for uh, partners, and so on and so forth. I have a strong passion for ethical and responsible AI because, of course, along the way, I've sort of seen some of the limitations of AI as well. We can talk about that. And one of the limitations is related to how people, sometimes they overtrust that blinking box, right? Uh, and other times there are people that are very scared of that blinking box. And reality is, of course, somewhere in the middle. So what can we do to make people trust AI more, but not too much, right? And part of that conversation needs to be, are we doing the right things to protect the sensitivity of the data that we are feeding the AI? Are we doing the right things so that when something goes wrong and the AI makes a bad decision, are we limiting the consequences of that? Are we engaging the human being in that conversation? Are we keeping the human in the, in the loop, so to speak? So that's what I'm all about. And I'm pleased to be able to have a chat with you guys about this. Yeah, this is, this is very cool. And so as, as I'm thinking about security programs, and I mean, we, yesterday we did a, we did a live show, um, depending on when this gets published. We did a live show recently that touched on algorithms and data sets and organizations using information to make financial decisions for them. And mm -hmm. the impact of that wasn't just whether or not they would succeed in their endeavors, but the impact for the broader economy and, and uh, social, uh, social landscape, if you will. So bringing that into an information security program I mean, we, we kind of know how a firewall works. We know what the rules look like. We know how VPNs work. We know how those rules look. And when we get into some of the detection systems, we early days, we know what a, what a piece of malware looks like. And over time, we've shifted that from signatures to rules to now we're looking at AI. And I guess my point of all of this is, as the machine learning and AI stuff comes in, do we lose visibility? So then we were forced to trust because we don't have visibility into the, to the algorithms and things like that. And does that mean we're con or forever blind to how this stuff works? Or what? talk to me a little bit about that to kick things off. Absolutely. So such such a good question. So first of all, uh, I think when you think about your example of firewall rules, for example, uh, it, it's obvious that firewalls aren't perfect, right? Sometimes a firewall will make a mistake and you get a false positive. And the same thing obviously happens with AI as well, right? Uh, an AI system, no matter how good it is, especially since it's fundamentally based on statistical uh, computations, statistics is not 100% either. So you will and should expect getting false positives from 
any surf system, whether it's rules-based or a modern AI-based system. The problem in cybersecurity is, of course, that these false positives can have consequences, right? Some, sometimes, you know, someone's reputation is on the line. You don't want to just fire some employee because an AI system declared that employee to be an insider threat. You need to be able to double check what's happening. And so uh, one of the core principles of ethical and responsible AI actually is what's known as transparency. So you need to be able to be transparent, not just about the algorithms themselves. So the equivalent in your world um, uh, for rules would be, do you have visibility and insight into the rule, the algorithm? So it's not a black box. And the second part of transparency is to be able to explain the decision to the end user. You know, so why did the black box think that your behavior was unusual or suspicious or warranting an investigation? And there's all kinds of technical ways to answer that question. You know, there are all kinds of active areas of research to be able to take that black box and actually turn that black box into something that is more transparent and actually describes what the AI algorithm did and how the AI algorithm came to that conclusion. Uh, and that's a good thing. But I, I find it interesting to also point out that this is increasingly becoming um, a regulatory requirement. And this is independent of security or not. But uh, many of our, your audience is probably aware of GDPR, right? So GDPR has a, uh, a clauses in GDPR that basically demands that someone that is the um, impacted by a, a decision has the right to know what went into that decision and how that decision was, was arrived at. If all you have is a really large neural network that is inscrutable because the math is so complex and it's got a billion parameters, then how are you going to be able to explain to the end user you know, why their credit card application was refused or why they got... Uh, suspended because they because that person looked like a bad guy yeah uh, every time i think about this black box i think about it should be a, a, a glass box so we can actually look inside mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. <laughs> so um we were inspired to have this conversation with you by uh your presentation that you did uh, at uh, sector the, the event uh, in canada and uh I want to follow kind of like those bullet points that, that you have in the presentation because I think it's a good story. You know, we love to tell stories. So let's start with the fact that at this point, there is no doubt that we know that there are advantages in using artificial intelligence. I, I mentioned that at the beginning in a lot of aspects of our life. Uh, it comes with some risk, but it comes with a lot of benefits. So why don't we start with highlighting um, what are those Let's say business. Let's say focus on the business, the business advantages, and in particular, the use of AI in, in cybersecurity. And then we can pick into what you know, the dark side uh, may be. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's a good place to start. So let's start with the positive. Uh, if you talk to anyone that's on a SOC team today in cybersecurity, they will almost tell you that their biggest challenge right now uh, I would pick on two. One is that there's too much noise. They're just getting so much data and so many alerts in their SIM that they don't have enough time 
and enough hours in the, in the day to be able to respond to all those things. The second thing that they will probably tell is they, that they cannot hire enough qualified staff to be able to respond to all the threats. So every company that I've had the chance to talk to, a very consistent feedback, right? There's too much noise because of all the log files that are coming into the systems. Uh, there's too much data and they don't have enough people. So the easiest way to solve both problems in one fell swoop is with automation. And that's really all AI is, right? It's not doing anything that a qualified human can't do. It's just that we don't have enough humans that are qualified to be able to do the job. The data is too much. Uh, this, uh, one of the good things about math is math never needs to sleep, right? It could be running 24 seven, looking through all this data. And again, uh, good AI is not trying to replace your humans. You're just trying to help the humans that you do have do their job, right? So a lot of these AI systems that are very effective in security, what they're doing is they're running 24 seven, they're combing through terabytes of data, billions of events, much more than any human could do, even if you had enough of them. They're looking for patterns that are worth the time and attention of the qualified humans that you do have, and they're just shining a spotlight on it. Here, you should look here on this machine at this time of day yesterday, because we think something is going on because, um, because there's a pattern of login and access that was very unusual and is very suspicious. And we think you should look there. So all of a sudden you saved that human a ton of time. Again, it's, it's not doing anything that the human couldn't have done himself or herself. It just would have taken too long and the human you know, needs sleep. <laughs> and, and so the good AI is trying to help that human out. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to make a quick comment and then I'm going to let Sean ask the next question is we forget that this is what we usually do with technology. I mean, we use technology. It's like where you were saying that I'm thinking like a router, right? I mean, we don't expect the router to tell me exactly what it is. I mean, now it's possible. But back in the day, it was just like, hey, there is something wrong. I need a human eye to, <laughs> to figure out what it is. And so a lot of other applications kind of like let's work together and. Maybe a lot of sci-fi would have not written if we would think that way. And all this big fear of AI taking over would have been a little different. But they said it comes with certain consequences, Sean, that may complicate things. Yeah, so lots of directions to take this, perhaps. But, I mean, there's numerous challenges, I would imagine. Um, deploying a system that's AI-enabled, uh, how, how does that change your, your tech stack? How does it change how your team functions? How does that change how you respond to information that comes out of, out of the system? Um, are those some of the challenges you think come with an AI-enabled system? And perhaps where does the ethical part of it uh, come to bear in that as well? Okay, cool. So let's start with deployment. Uh, you're right, Sean. The, the reason deployment has historically been so difficult is a lot of these AI systems, not all of them, but many of them, require some pretty complicated hardware to back it up. Uh, the, some of the best AI systems in the world are coming from companies like Google and Facebook. Whether you think they're good or not, it kind of doesn't matter, but from a technology perspective, they require you know, hundreds, thousands of servers. So there's big compute that you need to throw at it. Uh, the other reason why they tend to be quite complex is that 
a lot of these AI systems need data to be to be fed into it, right? The, the like brain that does knowing, you need to feed it a lot of data, a lot of samples of the things that you want the AI to learn about, to, to you know, find me a bad guy that looks like this. Or if you see this pattern, that's, that's something I want you to tell me about. So that requires a large amount of data. So the big compute, big data, that leads to big hardware that is required to be able to deploy the system. So historically, uh, not only are you installing software, you're procuring a lot of hardware. They have to be wired up a certain way. You're setting up a large cluster. There's complexity there. You probably don't have an IT team that is familiar with big data technologies like Hadoop. So historically, that has been an issue for sure. I will say, however, that recently, I'd say in the past like two or three years, uh, SaaS and cloud has made a lot of that go away, right? Because um, companies, even some of the really large companies and some of the government divisions that I've been talking to, they're starting to be more willing to put more of their systems in the cloud, not always behind the firewall. And, you know, and of course, that's not always going to be possible. Sometimes there are really important uh, compliance requirements for holding on to your data and keeping everything on-prem. But when a cloud system is available, all that infrastructure stuff goes away because a lot of these AI vendors, they are providing SaaS alternatives. So you don't need to worry about all that deployment complexity. Sometimes you literally just push a button and you you point the data to the cloud and it handles all that infrastructure for you. It also tends to be a lot more cost effective because in the cloud, you can essentially sequester a, a large amount of compute for a short period of time and therefore, it costs you just the amount of time that you're running cheaper, as you can imagine, as machines and holding on to them forever. So that's that's the deployment stuff. I, I can touch on the ethical part and at least start that conversation. But before I do, any any comments uh, on the deployment? Yeah, I was going to bring you there, so I'm going to ask Sean myself. Okay. <laughs> you have any comments? <laughs> or, me. <laughs> okay. No, I I I think it's time to yeah talk about the ethics of it, and and you know in in a large wide-angle perspective, ethics is what's good, what's bad behavior, right? I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell, the philosophy of ethics. Now, that's, that's a big conversation. Um, and when uh, we leave maybe the big company that have the, the, the power to create a good AI, how do they train that? And what are their goals? That may be debatable. So I'm going very philosophical here, but the point is, where are we now into defining this ethics? I mean, I, I know that our governments, and I think you're part of one of those task force as well in, in Canada, and I've talked to other countries, mm-hmm. um, the intervention of legislation for this, it's, it's, uh, I think it's fundamental, but still is very debatable the way we approach that. So where are we now in this vision for ethics and AI? Mm-hmm. We're actually quite far along, uh, okay. but you're right to call out the fact that these discussions are important. So the 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 good news is uh, I, I'm I'm more familiar with the G7 countries um, based on my past role, but essentially all the all the countries of the world are starting to gravitate around a small number of very core concepts around what constitutes ethical and responsible AI. 
And some of those concepts includes things like informed consent. So AI needs to be fed with data. Has the individual that contributed to that data set given you permission to be use that to be able to use that data for the AI? Right. So that's consent. Uh, right to access and right to be forgotten. So does the individual that contributed to that AI, whether in, indirectly through the data set or directly because they're essentially a consumer of the output of that AI, have they given that, uh, you know, do they have the ability to get information about that AI? Do they, if they decide to opt out of that AI, can they do that technically? Can they just send an email, for example, to a company like Facebook and request that all of their individual records be removed from that system. Uh, privacy by design is a really important concept that is very common. So when you build an AI system, has the builder basically considered data privacy from the very beginning? You know, there's a, there's a notion of privacy first that goes into everything from selecting the data, the way the data is consumed, the way the data might be anonymized, the way the model is architected, you know, have you from the very beginning considered data privacy from the very beginning? And then there's a bunch of process stuff as well. Obviously, it's not just technology, but uh, have you put in the right people and processes in place so that when a breach happens and breaches, as you know, are inevitable, right? Uh, is is the uh, consumer of the AI, you know, do they have the ability to be informed so that they know that something bad might have happened? Do you have, you know, DPOs or data protection officers in place so that they can respond in a timely fashion to, uh, to react to some of the implications of that breach and that AI issue? I will say that the, the, um, the regulation that's the farthest along right now is probably the uh, Euro European Union. So in April of this year, the EU has already proposed draft regulation for AI. It's got this really you know, long name that I'll have to sort of look up, uh, but it, essentially what you need to Google for is the GDPR for AI. So this is the same body that created the very influential GDPR. And as you know, when the GDPR was completely adopted in 2016, basically all of the other countries and all of the other regulations, they just essentially copy the GDPR effectively, right? So this is, uh, this is the equivalent for AI. So it's specific to AI. I'll read the long name here if you want to look for it specifically. It is the uh, proposal for regulation of the European Parliament and of the Council laying down harmonized rules on artificial intelligence and amending certain union legislative acts. So it doesn't quite roll off the tongue yet, but well, it's the acronym a... does. The acronym is Gubalakiga. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Perfect. I think the regulation itself is in the title. <laughs> We're good with that. <laughs> exactly. But th this is highly influential. And back to your original question, if you sort of look at what's being proposed, it is basically taking all of these ideas that are coming from all of these countries. Uh, including Canada, including the U.S., and basically putting it all together into what is almost guaranteed to be a very influential approach to regulating AI. Yeah, that's that's great, Stephen. And uh, I always have an operational view of these things, and I'm I'm just wondering how much of kind of what you just described in terms of this is 
the data you're going to collect and what you should and shouldn't be able to do with it and uh, who's monitoring, who's regulating, all that stuff. How much of that exists in current security programs that can be lifted and shifted to an AI-enabled one versus, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we're not doing it great there anyway, so we're just transferring garbage over. <laughs> but how, how, much <laughs> it is, how much of it exists now? How much of it shifts? And, and how do companies need to look at this differently, perhaps, uh, simply because the AI is there now versus old rules and, and uh, other types of algorithms that are not AI? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so the good news is we have a little bit of a head start because GDPR and very similar uh, regulations uh, have focused on the data part of AI, and that has already bubbled up to the surface. Uh, you know, uh, to to many of the large companies that are building these solutions, right? So, because GDPR and other regulations forced us to pay attention to kind of kind of the negatives of not paying attention to data privacy they're at least mentally already in the right headspace right so no one wants to be get no, no one wants to be hit with legislation no one wants to be fined uh, you know the the 20 million euros that you might lose because you got hit with a gdpr uh, pr- problem uh, so they've already set up teams to look at the privacy of the data right and as you know, 90% of AI is really about the data, right? AI is nothing without the data that feeds it. So that's a good head start. So there are some best practices and known techniques around um, you know, how to better anonymize data, how to better uh, respond to a data breach that, to be fair, everyone is kind of at different levels of awareness and involvement um, in, in those best practices. But at least it's out there and all the companies that I speak with, certainly the big ones, especially if you're in a highly regulated industry, there are various states of maturity in adopting those things. So that's good. That said, there are some things that are very specific to AI that we are, as a, as a whole, just still new to, right? There's a lot of confusion around what AI can or cannot do. To a lot of people, it still is a very mysterious you know, black box. A lot of people don't understand the difference between AI and machine learning. They don't even know what, you know, how to define machine learning. Uh, there's a lot of sort of magic that is ascribed to AI. You know, and so there's, quite frankly, a little bit of education that still needs to be given to all of us at large. There's certainly a lot of education that I need to brush up on as well. And some well, of those. The planet things... is flat, so. You know. I'm sorry. The planet is flat. So... Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, you, you might have a flaw in your AI there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the result you're getting. Uh, Stefan, I want to I want to take a moment here and maybe drill a little deeper into this. Um, when security programs are defined, I I don't feel. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel there's any danger real danger in things going way off track um, in terms of detection and response and remediation and recovery and, and things like that. Um, because we have, we have visibility into the systems that we, we know how they work. We know how they function for the most part. I'm wondering, using the example of, of, uh, well, I forget the example. So just, I'm wondering 
do organizations need to define clearly define goals for their AI systems? Kind of put it in a box and say, this is where we're going to let you play. And if, if the AI steps out of this, we're going to step in. And is that necessary for a security program that's AI enabled? Mm -hmm. um, and, and is it different from how we look at things today? I, I think that's asking the question the wrong way. So what I think the, the, the process is, is actually backwards. I, I think the process is what's the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Are you trying to detect breaches? Are you trying to prevent insider threat? Are you trying to find um, nation state attackers that are coming from the outside and trying to break in? Are you trying to find spear phishing? And then in order to respond to that particular problem or use case, you've got a number of tools in your tool chest. And so I'm going to pause you because let's, let's use, I'm going to get in this. Let's use insider threat. We, we start collecting a bunch of data. Maybe we start generating more data. We throw it into an AI system looking for insider threat purely for cyber malware type things. And we find that this person is off doing a bunch of other things that has nothing to do with cybersecurity, <laughs> but the AI found it where a human wouldn't. Is there a problem with AI or I don't know if it matters with AI or not, but is there a problem in it finding something that we didn't ask it to do and how do we deal with it if, if it does? Okay. So, uh, I, so that's a good example. So let's, let's think about insider threats. So I'll, I'll first of all ask that we think about how we would have found insider threat before AI. Right. And it essentially would be rules. Right. So we have a set of rules that would say things like, hey, tell me when someone has uploaded more than uh, you know, X numbers of attachments to their home Gmail account. Right. So that's a classic example from the, um, the CERT insider threat group. Right. So you're the idea there is if you know someone is about to leave the company and you see them sending more attachments than expected to their Gmail account, then they might be taking those documents with them to their next job. Uh, so that's, that's a um, well-accepted thing to look for that has existed in insider threat for over a decade, right? We've been doing that for a long, long time. The only thing that AI has added to that rule is, okay, instead of hard coding the number, right? Instead of saying, hey, alert me when someone sends out more than 10, right? Or alert me when someone sends out more than 30 attachments. The only thing the AI has added is, hey, tell me when someone has uploaded more than they normally would, right? So in that example, what the AI has done is they've learned that, hey, Stefan almost never sends more than three attachments per email, but we just saw him send 30. So that's more than normal, right? So what you, you can almost think of AI in this context as a smarter rule, okay? Now, the reason I went through that explanation is that from a, from a risk perspective, from a, okay, uh, you know, from a uh, perspective of, you know, are we, are we uh, worried about the, the system doing more than the system should? I don't think the addition of AI has really sort of changed that. 
right? Uh, you know, it's still an insider threat detection system, whether it's using rules or AI or a combination of the both. However, uh, you bring up a good point, Sean. You know, what the AI has added, I think, is an obligation for the system provider and the people that run that system to be able to explain clearly to the, the victim in this case, right? The person that's being highlighted, you know, why the AI pointed uh, the him or her to be a potential insider threat, right? So if you can't say, well, you normally send out only three, but you just, you know, sent out much more than three, right? If you can't give that explanation or justification, then the AI has failed there, right? So that's, that's a good example uh, of a concrete requirement for the AI system that doesn't exist in rules. Because as you said, if you looked at the rule, then you'd say, hey, if number of attachments is greater than three, then send an alert. It's very easy to understand the decision-making process. AI, because the math can sometimes be complex and inscrutable, there's an additional requirement on the AI system to be able to generate explanations. And so there's a body of research known as explainable AI that basically tries to do exactly that. So the idea is that no matter how complex the model is, no matter how big the neural network is, can we generate a human readable explanation of why the decision was made the way it was? I think that the explanation, explainable AI goes back to the black box versus the mm -hmm. box made of glass. Uh, Sean, we had this conversation actually with a friend in Ireland when we talked about AI the last time about mm -hmm. if you do not explain it, people will perceive it as magical and right. scary as you know right. we human do. And, and therefore, even the adoption by those that are more ethically maybe oriented than others, countries or organizations and even individual, they, they will understand, look, we, it's not as scary. Could be if we don't understand it, like everything, Absolutely. right? Well, there's <laughs> the thing that strikes me of this conversation is one might take the word ethical, flip it to unethical and then equate that to malicious or uh, mal malintent. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in my mind. It could, but I it could. My, my, my point is that if you don't know what you're training it to do and asking mm -hmm. it to do, and you're letting it go and it's just doing it, that may in itself be unethical, even if you're not trying mm -hmm. to get it to do something bad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, AI has to earn the trust of its users and consumers. And part of that uh, journey to trust is explainable AI. There's a, your comment actually just reminded me of a second aspect that is new to AI, which is model bias or data bias. And we've heard about this in the news. You know, we've heard about, you know, Twitter not being great at facial recognition if you're from a certain race. And so examples like that is a good example of, again, it's, it's different than a rule, right? In a rule, some human has been able to sort of explicitly describe the rule, right? So you, can, you, can, you don't have to go very far to understand where that rule came from. With an AI system that uses machine learning, it's not quite so obvious, right? Because machine learning, like I said, it's, it's essentially a, a blank brain and then you give it data and then it learns from that data. 
And the problem with that approach is that um, if you have a data set that is uh, filled with examples of bad human behavior, then all the machine learning model will do is repeat the sins of the past. So for, you know, yeah, if if you have like examples of all your bank employees giving uh, credit card approvals to preferentially to certain regions and neighborhoods and certain races, then again, machine learning doesn't know any better. It just sort of repeats the sins of the past. The good news, I guess I'll say is again, there's, there's math and statistical methods to be able to at least detect, quantify, and correct for model bias. And that's way better than what happened you know, 20 years ago when we wouldn't be aware all the time of this bias going on. So that's yeah, the good news, but we're not there yet. You embrace it to actually spot it and do something about it, perhaps. Exactly. So, yeah. so at least we can be proactive around it. And I will say as an industry, we are more aware and sensitive to model bias than ever before. Uh, because of all these tools that are just starting to come out. Yeah, fantastic. I I, I could dig in for hours on some of this stuff with you, uh, Stefan, but uh, I won't do that to you and not to our audience at this point. We'll have you back on for more. As we wrap here, sticking with ethical AI and cybersecurity, maybe a few points that our listeners can take with them as you close. Best practices, uh, tips, mm-hmm one thing or two things they really should be thinking about if they're about to embark on AI-enabled cyber. Awesome. I, I love, I'd love to leave your audience with three action items. I'm going to assign tasks for everyone. So action item number one is on the process side. So if you run a data science team or if you're building AI itself, I think the simplest thing you could do is get your data science team to fill in a template document anytime they download and acquire a data set. So that data template should include things like, what's the purpose of this data set? Where is the source that you downloaded this from? Like just literally include the URL. What's the provenance of this data set? Where did it come from? Did it come from a customer? Did you download it from the web? What's the, did you, did you get consent for this, for this data? Uh, are there any limitations of this data set? And that's really important because you don't want to find yourself later on going through an audit or having some sort of data breach and then under duress trying to remember all the, all the things that, this, that were tied to this data set that you used for your AI. So that's, that's tip number one. Uh, the second tip on the legal side, I have already mentioned it before, if there's any one regulation to track, just Google GDPR for AI, track this European Union initiative, super cool. And then finally, my last tip on the technology side, if you're interested in this space at all, uh, this entire area is known as privacy preserving machine learning. And there's an excellent free white paper that came out from the Alexandra Institute. It's called Privacy Preserving Machine Learning, a Practical Guide. It's completely free. It's 20 pages. It's very well written. I have no association with these guys at all. It's, I just find it's a really good summary that uh, your data science team would probably love to dig into. Love it. Wonderful. Sean, yeah. we'll, we'll have these links too. Yeah, to... we'll ask you, uh, Stefan, to uh, provide those links. If you don't mind, we can look them up. But either Absolutely. way, we'll, we'll include those in the show notes so people can access them uh, easily. And yeah. with that, um, 
did we prove that you're not AI, Stefan? I think we did. I don't know. It's very human, very natural conversation. I don't know. He he was really, really good if he was an AI. So I'm uh, I'm I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, th this is a conversation that I, I want to have you back because I'm, I'm, I can go very psychological and sociological on this, especially when you, we talk about the AI as a blank slate, you know, almost like a kid, you know, it's it's about education and and um, I, I can go in a lot of different places. So I'm going to shut up right now. Sean, let's say goodbye. And uh, it was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank much. you, Stefan. Thank you so much. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.